we do have a long way to go to get all of the people registered of voting age. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We will turn out to vote this cycle because we all understand what's at stake. Let's head to Arizona where Republicans are recounting two million ballots by hand. Hello and welcome to Dead Men Don't Vote. We aim to make sense out of elected administration news during this volatile period in American history, from debunking conspiracy theories to demystifying the election process and generally explaining the why and the how of elections. I'm Royfield Brown, an American in training, who speaks to election administration professionals about election administration news from around the United States. As normal, I'll be speaking to subject matter experts from OSET about pieces of news on the elections and their significance on American democracy. From the Hill, Arizona's AG wades into post-election tension in Maricopa County by Julia Mueller. Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich has waded into tensions over election concerns in Maricopa County, demanding answers about some Election Day printing issues before state elections send in final election results. To help us unpack this piece, we speak to Dana Debravar from OSET, who's the ex-Travis County clerk. She served from 1987 to January 2022. Arizona's Attorney General Mark Brenovich has weighed into tensions over election concerns in Maricopa County. What exactly has he done and what exactly were the concerns of the good people, the good citizens of Arizona? Well, what he's done is perfectly fine and good for him. He's saying he's going to go in and investigate the problems that Maricopa County had on Election Day. And that's perfectly fine. That's his job. I do think, though, that his investigation is going to be very short because let, let's look at what happened to Maricopa County on their big day. And let's think about it from just our own human perspectives. When you're at your house and you're working at your computer desk, what is most likely the thing that's going to go wrong above and beyond everything else? Isn't it most likely the printer that's going to give you trouble? That's what happened in Maricopa County at about, you know, maybe even close to a third of their locations. The problem happened is that their ballot-on-demand printers started printing a little too lightly for the scanners to be able to pick up the marks. Now, it's totally understandable that those ballot-on-demand printers probably had cartridges, ink cartridges in them that were not pristine and new. They were probably left over from the last election, which is also completely normal and regular business in elections. You want to use up the ink cartridges as much as you can because they're expensive. But perhaps these got down a little too low and then the ink wasn't sufficient for the scanner to read. Well, it's no big deal. What Maricopa did was they started sending out fresh cartridges to all of those locations as soon as they got word that there was a problem. And it took a few hours to get all of that delivery spread out among the county, you know, within a reasonable time so that new cartridges could be loaded into the ballot on demand printers. In the meantime, Voting continued, and all they did was cash those ballots that didn't get read into emergency ballot box number three. 
So I, I really think the attorney general has got a, a very good idea for double checking it. But I think that this investigation is going to last about five minutes. Gubernatorial candidate for the Republican Party, Carrie Lake, said that the whole process means that Arizona is a laughing stock. She's playing party politics with a procedural error which was dealt with, as far as you're concerned. Actually, Bill Gates and County Clerk Rich did a fabulous job of managing the elections. Maricopa County is a big county. It's quite the beast. They did a very good job and worked together. I think, to the contrary, Maricopa County voters should be very proud of their county handling what's a kind of normal problem that crops up from time to time in in big counties who are conducting elections. You have a logistics issue and you have to solve it quickly. But the good citizens of Arizona would say, but it always seems to happen in Arizona. Is this because Maricopa County is just so big and it's so pivotal to the results of the state of Arizona full stop? Is this because it's a purple county that it seems to be that the eyes of America always seems to be on Arizona and Maricopa County? And then there is this on top. Yes, I think it is perspective. In my lifetime, people used to always say that about Florida, that Florida was where everything always went to go and have trouble. I really think it's just a matter of being very large counties and all of the attention is already focused there. And these problems are not new. They're not special. They're just what happens in very large jurisdictions, and especially when you've got lots of people voting, which is excellent news, and you got a lot of people watching what's going on, which is also good for voters. Dana Devavar, thank you for putting our worries at ease. You're welcome. We're so pleased and proud with the turnout for these midterm elections. CNN Sarah Seidner is in Phoenix outside the Maricopa County Election Center. When will we have answers? That is a very good question, Anna, and I wish I could give you an exact number, but I have someone here who can give you some great numbers. We are here with the chairman of the America Board of Supervisors. Bill Gates is here with us. Can you give me a sense of how many people came out to vote? Was this a huge turnout? Yeah, we've had a big turnout through the whole election because it's not just election day. We started early voting several weeks in advance of that. But with respect to election day itself, um, we had about... 230,000 people come in person. And then in addition to that, we had another 290,000 people who came with their early ballot, which under Arizona law, they can just drop it off and head on their day. From the Hill, a Thanksgiving week shout out to the other Bill Gates by Glenn Altshuler. In the 2022 midterms, voters appear to have affirmed their faith in American democracy and the integrity of our elections. In battleground states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona, almost all election deniers were defeated in races for the U.S. Senate, Governor, and Secretary of State. So to talk about this article, we have Professor Glenn Altshuler from Cornell University. Now, before we go on, how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was a little bit unusual in that I decided to do something I've never done before, go to the movies. Oh, wow. And I saw the recently issued Steven Spielberg movie. Rate it from one to five for us very quickly. What would you give it? A three. Hmm. Hardly a ringing endorsement, but more positive than negative. 
Yes. Now, why did you feel the need to write this glowing opinion piece? I'm very concerned about the threats to American democracy. Is more fragile than Americans think, and we've had a lot of evidence for that over the past few years. But for this particular piece, I decided that I wanted to call readers' attention to the pivotal role played by tens of thousands of volunteers and paid elections staff who are responsible for processing and counting the votes across the United States. And Bill Gates is almost the perfect example of what you would hope for in an elections official, especially because he's doing his duties in round zero of election denial, election dispute, threats of violence, allegations of corruption and deceit. He said that Bill Gates is emblematic in terms of being at ground zero. Tell us about your process in doing the article. Tell us about how you decided to put the building blocks together. Well, I write for The Hill every week. That means I've got to pay more attention to the details of elections than a sane would (laughs) otherwise do. As you know, you can get a tremendous amount of information on the internet. By the rules of the Hill, every claim you make, every quotation you cite needs to have a link. So my role was not to be a reporter and interview Bill Gates, who is the chair of the Board of Supervisors in Maricopa County, but to use information that is in the public domain to present a narrative and analysis about the role he has played, not only in the election of 2022, but earlier in the election of 2020, and the difficulties he's had to operate under. Tell us about some of those difficulties. Maricopa County is by far the largest county in Arizona with the largest percentage of people living there. How Maricopa County goes usually determines how the state goes. And in 2020, Maricopa County went for a Joe Biden. In 2022, Maricopa County went for Katie Hobbs, the Democratic candidate for governor against Carrie Lake, who is probably the loudest election denier in the United States. And therefore, Bill Gates, the person who reports those election results, has been the target of hate, threats of violence, even though, ironically, Bill Gates is a lifelong Republican not the kind of person you would think likely to rig an election against people who are running on the Republican ticket. 
he has had to move his family out of his house. Such threats that the election center is now like an armed camp. It has helicopters flying over it, a fence perimeter to protect Bill Gates and his colleagues who have been processing and counting votes. They're just about done now. I'm a historian as well as being an Englishman. Back in time, is there another bit of American history which was equally contentious with results, certification of results? And always try and end these segments on a high. So if there was such a period, how did America get out of that? I'm a professor, and the role of professors is to make sure that his audience is more depressed at the end of his talk than at the beginning. So I'm not going to be able to cooperate except for an appreciation of the charm of my personality. The most contentious election in American history was in 1876, where it was unclear who won in several pivotal states. And there was an election commission that ultimately gave the nod to Rutherford B. Hayes over the Democrat Tilden. And most people believe, I included, that election should have been decided for Mr. Tilden. I would also point out that until 2020, all losing candidates in elections have conceded. Donald Trump was the first not to do so. And it's significant as we talk about Bill Gates that Carrie Lake, the candidate for governor, has not conceded. The candidate for secretary of state has not conceded. The candidate for attorney general has not conceded. And now in a desperate attempt to give you the high that you're hoping for, let me say that I focused on Bill Gates to make a point. And that is elections work because at every election site, There are Republicans and Democrats standing side by side to make sure that there's no fraud or chicanery in the election. And what we can say is that even in terms of its fragility, that system held in 2020, it held in 2022. Because there are a lot of people, Bill Gates Republicans and counterpart Democrats, who are committed to free and fair elections. It just worries people like me and should worry people across the country that it's a very close call that has worked. And it depends on the goodwill of these extraordinarily committed and determined and, alas, now courageous people to continue to make it. Early voting for Georgia's Senate runoff election has already broken records. A state election official saying more than 239,000 Georgians cast their ballots yesterday, and that beats the previous one-day early voting record of more than 233,000 votes, which was set back in 2018. From the Washington Post. 
Georgia election officials scramble to prepare for runoff by Matthew Brown. Georgia election workers are scrambling to review and certify the general election results under strict new deadlines required by a 2021 Republican-backed voting law, while simultaneously preparing for a U.S. Senate runoff election that is happening sooner than usual, also because of the new law. Jenny Coulter is the Senior Director of Stakeholder Relations and Social Media at OSET. But Jenny, before we dig into the article, how was your Thanksgiving? It was a little more subdued than normal. Most of my family wasn't feeling all that well, so I just took care of them and we rescheduled for next week. Oh, so the turkey has got a reprieve until next week. Yep, it got a reprieve. It's been pardoned. It's got one more week. (laughs) Well done. So this article talks about the forthcoming Georgia Senate runoff race. Tell us some of the pressures that the Georgia election poll workers could be under trying to get together a race in such a compressed amount of time. They had just under one month and actually less than that to start early voting. I do not know how they are doing this. I'm impressed. And what I do think it's interesting is the election supervisor in Gwinnett County pointed out that a lot of the office staff is very new at their jobs and Although they've certainly been working extremely hard to get things to get things taken care of and everybody served, they're also new and there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. So I'm impressed with everybody who's been, you know, taking the initiative to make sure that this election gets pulled off without a hitch. But to expect 100% perfection, I'm not sure that's realistic. I think as long as things went, everybody follows the law and the returns are reasonably balanced. It was a good election. Talking about the law, the article said that Georgia has changed its law pertaining to elections recently. Could you run through some of those changes for us and maybe why those law changes will make the organization of the election even more difficult? Now, the law shortened the amount of time that could transpose between a runoff and a general election. So that shortened the window from a couple of months to a couple of weeks. And there's also mail-in balloting is going to be considerably altered. Right now, I believe that one of the other papers in Atlanta said that they are encouraging voters to vote in person rather than by mail because they can't guarantee when a ballot sent out is going to be returned. And there's definitely a lot of new rules regarding absentee ballots. And there's also the specter of having the legislature come in and investigate your election office in case something goes wrong or you've made the wrong political enemy. So just going back to one of the things you said before, you, you talked about the fact there's a lot of new staff. How do you think that also will impact on the smooth running? Is this a case of the older staff just have, you know, have seen this all before? Or are there other considerations as well? There's plenty of considerations. Now, one of the things of the advantages of having new staff is they are far more likely to not want to cut any kind of corner They may not understand why they're doing something, but they'll do it if you tell them to do it. The older staff, I think the staff that's more experienced, sometimes they'll be like, look, it worked last time. Let's try it again this time. Most staffers aren't like that, but I've certainly seen that in my own experience. Now, the thing, of course, obviously, I mentioned a learning curve earlier. They are learning brand new laws at the same time everybody else is. And sometimes you want to make sure that your older, you know, your more experienced staff who have been there longer don't give the more recent employees, the wrong idea. And you also don't want the new employees to constantly asking questions like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. And you just kind of have to go, that's the law. That's really it. It's kind of the government equivalent of because I said so. And 
How much more expensive is, just as a percentage, not asking for, for, for the dollar and cents of value, but how much more expensive is a special runoff election than a regular one? Is the cost less because there's fewer people on the ballot, let's say? The main concern is booking polling places in that time period in that short of a frame. Ballot printing is actually considerably cheaper because there, you don't have to have a double-sided ballot. It's just one group of candidates. So the main thing is getting your staff back and getting your location set. That's really the most important thing as far as cost. Now, could I give you a fixed percentage? No, I couldn't because obviously I've never been an election administrator in Georgia. But a runoff isn't necessarily more expensive. It's a timing issue rather than it is a cost issue. Gotcha. Jenny Coulter, as always, you shine a light on these complicated, thorny matters for us and, and, and make them simple. Next week, let's hope that Thanksgiving goes off without a hitch. Well, thank you so much, Raphael. I appreciate it. From The Hill, Arizona's AG wades into post-election tension in Maricopa County by Julia Mueller. Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich has waded into tensions over election concerns in Maricopa County, demanding answers about some election day printing issues before state elections send in final election results. To discuss this article, we speak to Gregory Miller, the Chief Operating Officer and co-founder of OSET. Greg. The article starts by saying that in this election cycle, a record amount of money has been raised by both of the two main parties so that they can actually go to court to fight litigation if needs be. Should we see this as just a normal thing that with every election cycle because of inflation, we see increased amounts of money? Or should we be worried and see this as a dangerous sign? Well, Royfield, thank you for asking the question. And it's got a kind of a multi-part answer. Part of it is, sadly, yes, litigation is an unfortunate norm within close elections these days. And I would have to say, Inflation has nothing to do with it. What's at stake has really driven the cost, if you will. So it's not unusual. However, we should be a little concerned in that all elections are close and the litigious nature of, the, of these fights is going to increase because unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, contestants are not as willing to concede in an election. It appears to me, uh, but you're the expert, that we haven't seen uh, the results of the midterms mired in litigation. But I'm, I'm the layman. You're the expert. Would that be your reading? Well, I'm humbled by you referring to me as an expert in this particular regard. It, it isn't exactly my mired is correct. We weren't mired in litigation. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind that this wasn't a national election. In other words, for President of the United States, a midterm is, is far more state-centric in, in the in the contests and candidates and issues, except for the members of Congress, of course. We have seen litigation. We're, we're going to see some contentious activity in, in Arizona. Already we're seeing that. So mired, no. Is it there? Yes. Is it, is it, is it a problem? Yes. Very obviously, there are 50 states. So there's 50 different rules when it comes to what can trigger recounts. And that's before parties decide that they want to go down the route of litigation. Could you give us maybe some of the parameters of what triggers a recount? And then what are the steps which candidates can take if they want to take things further from there? Whenever we get into any regulatory infrastructure, my, my recovering inner lawyer is like happy and 
tails in a slow wag because I can talk about that. Recounts are, are conducted after an election, either automatically when the margin of victory for a race is narrow or because someone, usually the losing candidate or their party, requests a recount. Now, as you aptly point out, the laws governing recounts vary by state. So in 22 states and the District of Columbia, recounts are automatically triggered if results are within a certain margin. The margin will vary from state to state. In 41 states and the District of Columbia, a recount can be requested. In states that do not offer a recount process, a defeated candidate's only remedy is to contest the result of the election in court. And, and recounts may be ordered by a court. Now, there's this, this notion of automatic recounts. And so, again, 22 states and, and the District of Columbia provide for automatic or mandatory recounts, which are conducted if the margin between the top two candidates is within these certain parameters. The threshold to trigger automatic recounts range from about 1% to um, to the case and, and to only in, in the case of a tie, it's it's one percent, I believe. The most common trigger, I believe, is about half a percent. And and again, there's sources all over the web where people can chase down and look at it from a state by state case. But those are generally the parameters. And last question from me: Should we see recounts and candidates having the course for litigation as a strength or a weakness of the system? Well, that's a very good question. My humble opinion, your mileage may vary, is that the process of contest and recounts is a an important ingredient in our process of democracy. Everyone deserves a right to have a full and fair accounting of what happened. And so on the one hand, I think it is a strength. On the other hand, there is a tendency now for that to be the rule as opposed to the exception, such that contests tend to drift towards these these recounts and litigation efforts. To an extent, that's unfortunate. I think our goal at the OSED Institute and the Trust the Vote Project is to build publicly available open source technology that can increase the verifiability, accuracy, security, and transparency of the process such that these challenges could be reduced because let's remember the goal of a voting system is not to convince the winner and their supporters that they won. The goal of a voting system is to convince the loser and their supporters that they lost fair and square. So there you go. We're still digesting all of the data from the 2020 midterms. To get a message to the OSET team via SpeakPipe, go to trustthevote.org forward slash podcast where you can record your question and we will put it on a future episode and answer it. And don't forget, good people, citizens of America, we need your reviews. Please go to Apple Podcasts and post us a review. The more reviews we get, it widens our scope of informing Americans about American democracy and elections. I'd like to thank Dana Debovar, Jenya Coulter and Cameron Quinn for joining us on this episode. And of course, Frame Masters for reading out our headlines. And again, if you found a news story that you would like us to comment on, you can email me at royfield at osetinstitute.org. Please keep listening and spread the word about us and the Trust the Vote project. And of course, spread the good news about democracy. You can go to trustthevote.org forward slash podcast or you can follow us on Twitter at TrustTheVote or at Dead Men Don't Vote. Dead Men Don't Vote is supported by the team at the Trust the Vote project. 
The Trust Vote project is an initiative of the OSET Institute, Inc., a tax-exempt 501c3 non-profit California Public Benefit Corporation.